On this week's Bet the Process podcast, we're actually going to break this up into two pieces. We're doing a couple interviews. The first one is with Alan Boston, known as Boston Red on Twitter. Uh, he'll be talking about college basketball. We'll be talking about the tournament. We'll be talking about his life and gambling and even about how analytical he is but doesn't even know it. Then tomorrow we'll be talking to Ken Pomeroy. Um, we're going to break this up into two different interviews because the Alan Boston one ran pretty long and we found it pretty interesting. As always, the Bet the Process podcast is brought to you by the Sports Action app, especially now with March Madness happening. It's the time to download that Sports Action app. It's available on the Google Play Store and in the App Store by Apple. So download it now. There's no reason not to. It's the best app for following sports betting, and it's not even close. So with that, let's start the process. the process podcast another off-season edition i can't remember i think this is the third off-season edition so we'll just call three. the third one three three is a magic number just like de la soul said uh, i'm jeff mob with uh rufus peabody who is in all places buenos aires how's buenos aires uh, it's good i just got in this morning actually so i'm a little bit a little tired i had a, a red eye and, and had uh, a larger woman sitting next to me who's shoulder and arm and kind of bled onto me which was i mean not not the best uh not not the best flight but it's not you know when you're when you're flying cattle class like i am then yeah you weigh about 12 pounds soaking wet so i think you'll be okay with a, a large woman next to you that's true it was cushiony at least <laughs> hello she was cushiony or the chair was cushiony well she added some cushion too yeah so obviously we're going to be focused this week on a couple of guests. Um, we're going to have uh, Alan Boston of Boston Red of the odds of uh, the old bet the uh, behind the bets uh, ESPN podcast fame. Um, he's going to be talking a little bit about college basketball, his process, and we're going to talk a little bit about hopefully some of the sort of darker side of, of gambling um, and how uh, we all feel about that. Cause I think we've all experienced that. Certainly we're not um, above that. And then we're going to have Ken Pomeroy on who is, you know, the godfather of analytics and college basketball. Uh, but before we get into that, I want to talk to Rufus a little bit just about sort of like how you're, how are you, uh, what's your off season like right now? Are you actually doing any work? Are you improving models? Are you getting ready for baseball? Some people asked me to us to do baseball win totals. So Ooh. is this anything that you're interested in? You know, I, I took most of February off and by took it off. I mean, I'm still, you know, there's still sports that I'm betting. So um, on a weekly basis, but, you know, football's done. So it's and I hadn't started my prep for baseball yet. So it's nice to have some downtime after the Super Bowl, or at least, a, you know, some something a little bit resembling downtime, but so I must, do bet. You're mostly betting golf then, right? I would assume. We're yeah. not supposed to say this, Jeff, but <laughs> no comment. <laughs> I think people know you bet golf. It's not like that, that, you know, to beat golf is, is hard. So it's not like you're giving away any trade secrets. I think, I think you think like, you think like the early days when startup people believed that they needed to be in stealth mode all the time. Right. Where they like couldn't tell someone about this great idea they had and they had to be in stealth mode. And then everyone learned that, like, there were no such thing as novel ideas. It was all about execution. And yeah, well, you're I'm, a successful sports better is the execution. It's not the novel idea of what you're betting on. Let's move on. <laughs> I guess you I disagree. do bet baseball. I okay. do bet baseball. I don't, I mean, you know, for season win totals, I don't do anything myself for that because my model, like, that requires projecting out um, lineups and well ahead of time and, and thinking about whether this team is going to trade their their uh, veteran players if they're not in contention, which team's a buyer, which team's a seller, all that, all that stuff. Uh, I think that there's a lot of people, well, uh, baseball prospectus does a good job. There's other you know, projection systems out there that, that do regular season win total stuff, but I bet individual games. And so uh, on a daily basis, that's, and so right now I'm actually trying to get, get ready for, for the season and, and um, go through my code, which is, it gets more and more complex every year. And it's, it gets, you know, I, I try to get it more organized. It seems like, but it, it seems like an insurmountable task every year to kind of go through. What, what do you code? What language are you coding in? Oh, 
you're gonna laugh at me. Um, so I, I I scrape data in Perl and I use uh, Stata for my data analytics stuff. Nice. Yeah. You know, I was expecting like, like MATLAB or something like that. No, you know, if I if I if I had done it over, I would have you know in college I would have taken more programming classes and I would have uh, learned Python. Mm-hmm. I think Python's like the best language to 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 know right now. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I wasn't even sure. Like, was Python around when you were in college? Uh, maybe as a fledgling language. I don't know. Yeah, but I didn't. I didn't do any programming in college. So I didn't either. I went to MIT and didn't do a single programming class until. Don't you wish? Don't you yeah. wish you could go back and like you know? Dude, I went to college. Would have been more relevant. I went to college before the internet was even before Al Gore had even invented the internet. I was I was in college, and he had just doing his first experimentation on the internet, um, which allowed me to basically uh, start to send email. So I started sending email in college and that was a, a huge, huge step in the right direction. We had all these was this, great wait, ideas. Was this before or after he invented global warming? That's my joke, man. You can't steal my joke. That's, nah. that's really my joke. And usually that joke kills it in uh, conservative said places, but does not kill it in, in liberal places. So you have to watch your audience there when you tell that joke. Um, so what do you like what, in terms of baseball, what are, what are some things that you see that, you know, that give you edges in baseball? Do you think, I mean, like well, baseball is a pretty widely bet, yeah. you know, game. These I mean, days, baseball's so. where it's where I got my, it's, I mean, as you know, Jeff, it's where I got my start. And I think a lot of people, if they, know anything about me they knew i i did my senior thesis at yale on inefficiencies in the baseball betting market so i basically developed a model that predicted inefficiencies rather than predicting the actual game result it predicted that this team would be over or undervalued and a lot of that was really just based on the sabermetric stuff the fielding independent pitching in the market because the market was not that efficient back in the early 2000s Um, and that's obviously what i was looking at when i was in college but i developed a model um, as well, a predictive model after college. And it's like most sports, it's it's about figuring out what is signal, what's noise, what's random, what isn't, and sort of building from the bottom up. And I think the, the big thing that is sort of, I think undervalued in general in, in sports handicapping is, is contextualizing performance. And I think there's a lot more of that you need to do in baseball. And, and maybe not as much adjusting for like strength of competition because over a long season, you don't have huge differences in, in you know, strength of opponents. Although you do have an unbalanced schedule. But, uh, but you do have things like, um, I mean, you have, you have park factors, of course. Um, you have, you know, whether a pitcher is a starter, you know, the same pitcher is a starter and a reliever will perform differently. I'm not expressing this very well, but, you know, in a shorter stint, um, a pitcher is going to be expected to get more strikeouts. Uh, whereas if he's a starter, he, his strikeout rates are going to go down. So you sort of have to be able to say, okay, you know, this guy was a reliever. Now he's starting. How do I expect his statistics to change? And so um, that's kind of this contextualization is kind of the basis for what I do in, about it just well in every sport. Got it. So basically looking for overvalued or undervalued teams based on people overvaluing context um, incorrectly, I guess I would say. Like, can you give me like an example of that? Like, I think I understand it, but it'd be great to give the listeners an example of that. Well, I mean, I gave a good example right there, I think, with the starter reliever thing. Um, there's other. Well, you know, now you have. OK, I'll give you another. I'll give you a good example here. Right now we have the hit FX data the, or stat cast, whatever it's called. Uh, which gives you, um, which gives you the exit velocity of batted balls and the launch angle, right? So you can sort of say whether uh, the probability that, and, and Statcast does this, the probability that something's going to uh, uh, turn into a hit or not based on those things. And, and while I don't have, uh, um, you know, the as extensive of data as they do, you know, all that's scrapable is just basically those two things for every play, um, for every I guess. So you have incorporated ball. Statcast into your models now. I have, yeah, but but I think it, it is useful is to that, say, okay, the, 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 the um, that's a few years, a few years ago. But the thing is, the harder a ball is hit, the more likely it is to turn into a hit overall. So you can have, you know, you can have two guys that you know have like you know two ninety batting average. I'm not, I don't use batting average by the way as a statistic, really. But um, <laughs> but but do you use they, one, one guy does it? All, that's the only stat you need. It's all that matters is winning or losing. Just win, baby. 
but basically, you know, the, if you have two guys that have the same batting average and, and one guy's uh, hit balls a lot harder generally, I would expect that he'd be the better guy going forward. So you have to, it's largely about figuring out the um, sort of at a granular level, the data that can sort of predict this bigger outcome, which, you know, whether a ball will be a hit or not. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, I think in general, that's the baseball, right? And then you just kind of build this, do you a simulator or do you just have a model? It's not, it's a model. It's not, it does not involve simulations. No, but why would you, on use, a day -to -day why basis, would you decide not to do a simulator in this situation? Why uh, other sports you do it use a simulator, you know, back in like, 2010 2011 I, I was in love with the idea of doing a simulator but it's just really hard to build i mean you have to build i mean simulate every batter uh, and I, I tried and it didn't really do any better than than the model using inference got it i'm just not that good no you are that good no all right well let's finish off this baseball talk and let's move into our interviews um we're going to start with Alan Boston, and then we'll move into Ken Pomeroy after that. Welcoming to the Bet the Process podcast, we have Alan Boston, uh, who is doing our What's the Process or What's Your Process segment. Alan, welcome to our podcast. Cheers. So first off, we want to ask you, or at least I want to ask you, we talked a little bit last night. You know, you aren't an analytics guy. We are an analytics podcast, but we'd love to sort of understand what the process that you go through um, in trying to decide, you know, how to bet on games or, or what teams to bet on, like maybe even just take us through like how you broke down this tournament, the opening round games and decided like what are plays and what aren't plays. Wow. You're going to be, uh, you're so far afield for me. It's uh, uh, how do I start? So I'm from a different era, right? I, I, I went to Penn 76 to 80 when getting a score on a game was difficult. Never mind. I mean, literally getting a score in a game was difficult. Final scores were possible, but partial scores were impossible. So when I first went to Vegas, I wanted to keep track of the scores. I mean, that's kind of normal. So I would plop down at the starters every night and watch the sports ticker. And the sports ticker typically updated the games every five minutes. If they were on TV, it was a little more, but there were very, very few games on TV then. So every five minutes, I'd get a score in the games. And... Somehow I probably taught myself without knowing it how to keep track of all of them. So I was well aware, no matter how many games there were, of what the score was prior. So I knew the ebb and flow of every single game that was played every night. And since that was my main uh, – how do I say this? That was uh, my main resource was a sports ticker, then – how do I make use of that? And again, I'm just entirely self-taught and I didn't think about what I was doing. I just did it. I just winged it. And so I'm trying to think about what my process was that I actually came up with. So I, this is all instinctive what I did. So as I watch games and I'm aware of how they all played out, I, this is a long time ago. I've tweaked it since, but this was, this was the essence of what I did. So how that game played out, made me understand how strong the team was. So, you know, a game could end 20, uh, but if it's tied with eight minutes to go, certainly that 20-point final is different than one that the teams that had 30, 10 minutes into the game, right? Uh, and you can take that further where Team A is a 10-point underdog to Team B, and they're down four, five minutes in, they're down six, 10 minutes in, they're down three, 15 minutes in, they're down four at the half. Now the second half comes out and they get down 12, with 15 minutes to go, but now they got it right to two with 10 minutes to go. This is what I had. I had five-minute updates. And now they're again down two with five minutes to go, and they lose by eight. But this was sort of a home-run effort for this team, that they were able to put all this energy out and hang with this team that they were a 10-point underdog to for almost the entire game. So how would that transpose versus a similar team when they're at home getting, let's say, four points, where back in the day when a home underdog had immense amount of energy because it wasn't always televised, it wasn't, it was a different era and home underdogs, the referees were different. They weren't all on national TV. So the referees tended towards maybe giving a few more calls to the home team. It mattered more to be at home then. And in particular, what before it became a big business and I'm talking specifically college basketball, cause that's all I've ever done. Uh, before it came a big business, certain games would matter more to these teams than others. 
like kids were going to school and playing for the love of the game. They weren't playing because uh, the school might make $30 million if they succeed. It was an entirely different dynamic. So if that team could carry that effort out that they played versus a similar team on the road at home, I think they'd win. And it was, I would use that kind of logic for every game. And, and since I was aware of how every game played out, I remember little runs during the game. I remember, you know, how far they lasted before they cracked. And I would be able to take that parallel to whatever game they were playing. And if it resonated, if it sort of felt right, then it probably was right. So that's part one. Part two, I would have power ratings, obviously. You can't just do this on, on a whim. And But my changing of power ratings, again, were based a lot on how the game played out. I had no box scores to look at. I had no data to look at. So this is all how the game played out is how I determined how good a team was. And that's kind of the start of it all. As it's gone on and the game's changed, uh, I still have that basic fundamental. That's still the foundation of everything I do is I care about how that game plays out more than anything else when I tweak my power ratings. And of course, you know, I've always explained uh, the essence of sports betting is, is, is if you play golf, you, you have a golf handicap, you've played golf for 10 years and you're a, a 10 handicap and you're going to have your good days as that 10 handicap. You're going to have your bad days as that 10 handicap, but you're always 10 towards that 10 handicap. So if you break par one day, you're still a 10 handicap. It doesn't mean you're all of a sudden you're, you're a, a, a scratch golfer. You're still that 10 handicap who had a good day. And the big mistake people made back in the day was if team A beat team B by 50, they would automatically assume that they're 50 better. And this is how you were, this is how sports betting was so much easier back then that people overreacted to individual results over and over and over. This may sound very basic and mundane to you, but I, I, you know, you asked me to explain it. This is the best I can do. Uh, so, so one question though, did you, have you ever worked with like analytics people no. to sort of like, no, but like what, I mean, like you have amazing theories, right. And like these theories have worked for you. So I wonder like if someone sat down with you and tried to maybe like quantify some of the stuff you're talking about, they could actually, I would love it. I have, I have more questions you can imagine for, for people. I have, uh, I kind of think that games I make 12 and a half on neutral courts play to higher numbers. And I think they'd play to higher numbers when the totals are higher, when there's more possessions, you know, it, it's all very simplistic, but I have no way of, of ironing out what that exact number would be. And does it play to a lower number when there's fewer possessions, which I think it does now since this 32nd clock got put in and, you know, 35 to 30 seconds may not seem like much to the layman, but you of course understand that's, you know, what's Peach. that 14% smaller. It's uh, way more possessions in the game now. So, yes, it does matter. And it, 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 it obviously makes it more difficult for underdogs to win. Uh, now, but because before, it also before matters came, with, with point spreads. Before you came on, Rufus and I were talking about some of the uh, models he built in baseball. And we talked about how a lot of you know, sports betting is this idea of contextualizing performance and sort of understanding uh, when performances are misleading based on people missing the context of it. And that sounds like exactly what you were doing when you were checking the sports sticker. You were actually like contextualizing the performance so that you understand stood what um, a main, uh, you know, a score was versus another score. So now that you're able to watch a lot of these games, is that how you try to then contextualize the performance? No, I don't watch anything. I do check watch... box scores. <laughs> and, you know, if I see anomalies in, in, in three-point shooting, you know, like a team – like Kansas the other day against West Virginia, 15 out of 27 threes, which they're not a very good outside shooting team typically. So, you know, you can just throw the result right out the window as far as I'm concerned. So I am aware of, you know, teams having good and bad shooting days, but that's about it. That's the extent of it for me. It's it's how the game plays out. And, you know, I do check the box score to look for uh, – because three-point shooting is so relevant now. It's, 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 you know, teams run all their stuff almost exclusively to get three-point shots. Why not? three beats two, even uh, a UPenn grad knows that, right? So these coaches have figured out that since three beats two, let's try to shoot three, especially when the shot is often not that difficult. They're, they're actually experimenting with moving it back in the NIT this year, which I think is a good idea, which I would love. I wish they had done it 20 years ago. I probably would have retired by now. But uh, that well, being it sounds said, like you're talking... uh, go ahead. 
it sounds like you're talking a lot about like analytical frameworks, like regression to the mean is exactly. I have know, no idea the, what any of that means. So I mean, it's saying don't overreact to a small sample size, right? Right. That's exactly what you're saying. I mean, you, I, think, you, I think you're much more analytical than you realize, Alan. I, I, I don't, a I hate friend to of mine once that. told me, uh, a smart friend told me, he says, he said, uh, you know, you're very mathematical. I said, no, I'm not. He said, yes, you are. You just don't know it. Your process so, is mathematical. I, I always remembered those words. <laughs> yeah. He's a guy who's been in Vegas and winning for a long, long time, and no one knows him, but he's a very, very smart kid. Or not a kid anymore, but those are the words he told me. You do use a lot of math, you just don't know it. So, uh, Alan, bringing, so bringing I would back, agree with what you're saying. Bringing back to what you were kind of saying uh, around Kansas, like kind of getting to relevant to this year's tournament, does this make you believe that there's a little bit, like Kansas is a little bit overvalued? There, That line against Penn opened at 15, and I think it's been bet down to 14. There's a lot of talk about Penn being good at defending the three and Kansas relying on the three. Do you think your alma mater has a, a chance in that game to to make history? Uh, I think it opened 16, actually, at, at the place that matters, but uh, that, that that's really ir- irrelevant, right? Uh, Penn... Uh, Penn runs beautiful offense. This is the other thing I used to do that, that, so the other, you know, I obviously had, that was my fundamental, but I also had, you know, a series of other things being a basketball fan, understanding basketball. I had other reasons why I would bet games, but that was the main, that was the simple foundation of it. And then the ebb and flow of the season, I would try to feel when a team was going to have their home run game and when they, maybe they have a clinker. That's, that's kind of all done with now because it's a big business and kids are all in every game or else the coaches are threatening to lose their half million dollar a year job and the schools are threatening to lose their millions they might make for getting in the tournament. So that's kind of all out the window. It's no longer a game of love. It's a big business. So, you know, like $300,000 later, I learned that uh, there's no clinkers and no, 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 no uh, home run games anymore. That, that, that doesn't exist. But at least sounds I like figured that's it out. An argument. Uh, it sounds like that's an argument against situational analysis, huh? Yeah. It's uh, it's about, it's about done. Yeah. I, I think it's done in basketball. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's rare. It's rare. Even even games where kids used to play three games in five days where, you know, you think their energy might be sapped a little bit. If you want to use like sheet theory with horses where, you know, rested. I, I, I used to do this a lot where I would. So if a team gets blown out, it, it's not, it doesn't impact them as much as if they lose 58-57 at the buzzer. Now they played this game to the wire and they, they put all this energy out. I would look to bet against a team like that two days later. That's no longer the case. These kids are, are when they're in AAU, they play nine games in five days. They're much fitter than they once were. The gym has become much more important, you know, working out, et cetera. Basketball players didn't work out when I was a kid. They were tall, skinny kids. Uh, so, you know, the, the game's changed and changed and changed, and, and you just have to And, you know, I'm just guessing as to why some of the stuff I did doesn't work anymore, but I know it doesn't work, so logically, why not? And, and that, that's what I've come up with. So a lot of these energy games I used to bet where teams would – you know, play overtime, overtime, and then have a, another game in five days where you think they'd be a little, you know, worn out and maybe crack a little sooner. It doesn't happen as much, uh, or if at all. Even Providence. I mean, that was an unbelievable effort they put up. Lost in overtime. They won in overtime. Then they were 17 down to Xavier. Came back and won that game in overtime. And now they're playing Villanova, who had back-to-back cakewalks, who had just lost to Providence the last time they played. So you knew they'd have a lot of focus for the game. It's for the Big East title and. Providence's second win for sure got them in the tournament, so there was that dynamic too. There was every reason for Providence to, to have a clinker, but they didn't. They they took them to the wire too. Uh, in fact, they took them to overtime, right? So it, it just doesn't work like it once did. Occasionally it does, but I, I tend towards ignoring it where at one time that was of mega importance to me. So as far as situational analysis goes, I'm sure there's some argument they made, and I'm sure you could dig in enough, and I'm sure a computer could do a lot more than I can. And, and find these spots where maybe that works. But I, I, I have found that most of the situations that I once reveled in are out the window. And that kind of sucks because it makes a But uh, again, I'm anachronistic. You know, I'm from a different world than uh, you guys are. So you, you what's your theory? Sorry. On, so, on back to Penn. so back to the Penn-Kansas game. Yeah. Do I think Penn can, uh, Penn can beat him? Uh, probably better a better chance than the line maker gives them they run fantastic offense kansas is very very poorly coached this is kind of what i was getting at i meant to get this before where where coaches matter a lot more back then especially what they had when they had the longer shot clocks when they could control tempo and shorten the game and and make uh the favorites life miserable by by running terrific offense and making them defend and defend and defend and anytime they made a mistake bang they'd have a layup or an open shot uh with this shorter shot clock that's 
that's less important now, too, where uh, a genius coach against a retard, which is the case here with Penn against Kansas, where Bill Self is a complete idiot, and Donahue is, is, is excellent. Uh, that's kind of out the window, too. Uh, it matters a little bit, but not a lot. I think what may matter most here is Kansas just won the Big 12. And this is getting a little situational, too. They won the Big 12 tournament. They won the Big 12 conference. Uh, they have had kind of an up-and-down year. They haven't had a typical home-run Kansas year, although I have them rated about as good as most Kansas teams. Again, they play to their level. They have played so many bigger games. The Big 12 conference is this one tough game after another that they're coming in as this 15-point favorite, and they're well aware that they're a 15-point favorite, that subconsciously, and I mean subconsciously, this could be a tricky spot for them in that regard. And where Penn is infinitely better coached than Kansas, if they're not all in all the time, Penn is going to find holes in their defense, and a lot of them, and get a lot of open shots. And if they make them, which they're certainly capable of, the game could get tricky for Kansas. I would imagine that since they're so overwhelm Penn athletically that they'll get the extra rebound here and there and, uh, you know, the extra freebie off rebounds. And they'll probably get some calls too, since uh, it is a big business and Kansas sells more tickets than Penn and don't think they don't know that. Don't think they're not playing in Wichita for that reason, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not going to get into that conspiracy theory shit, but that's as a fan, that's, that's, that's honestly what I believe. Uh, yeah. I, th- I think Penn will hang with them and I actually think Penn will cover too, but as far as winning goes, it's probably better than what the linemaker thinks, but, you know, still not likely. So you mentioned Wichita and, you know, we can, we can talk about this because I am interested in this. I know that you're a big fan of Huggins and West Virginia and the way that they play basketball. You know, what, why do you think the NCAA, what's the, what's their problem with Huggins? Like why, why, why does he get these draws? You know, the, the Wichita, West Virginia. He draw he got this year? Second, Jesus second, second half. Second half Are you half. serious? Yeah, it's crazy. But I predicted that. I actually predicted that they would play Wichita State. They'd be in the same bracket as Wichita State, and they would play them early on. And there it is. They don't like Wichita State because they're not one of their brethren. They're not one of the good old boys. They're not someone who has this big ESPN contract. Uh, They're taking money away from the Dukes, the North Carolinas, the Kansases, the Syracuse, the guys that they want to get the money. You know, part of this old, good old boy network that, that definitely exists. Uh Huggins had a problem at Cincinnati years ago. I, I don't remember what it was, but it was something that was kind of a knock. If you watch him in his prep conference, he's very, he's actually very, very intelligent. His, you know, they asked him, so what do you have to do to be, you know, to get over the hump against Kansas? He said, score more points, you know, shoot a foul shot. He was, he was infinitely sarcastic, but it was kind of a stupid fucking question. So that's what he kind of did. He answered it in that way. He's not politically correct. He, uh, he is who he is. He's a very straight shooter. He's honest. He's a genius coach, but he comes across as this guy who's going to have a shot of whiskey at a bar and, uh, you know, doesn't smile and, and is not necessarily nice to reporters. And for the NCAA with this so-called, uh, you know, uh, purity or whatever bullshit that they promulgate, that's all just a bunch of fucking bullshit. He's not their poster child for the for the NCAA. This is all, you know, me winging it here. I, I, I don't know why. But I do know that every year West Virginia has a brutal, brutal draw, that they are either underseated or they're seated properly and they get a brutal draw. So uh, West Virginia – This year they're both seated improperly and they got a terrible draw. They have the worst draw imaginable. They have Wichita State – they have Murray State in the first round, which is no bargain, but they should blow them out. I think it's a pretty good matchup for them, actually. Uh, and – Wichita State in the second round is just is just murderer's row. I have Wichita State the fifth or sixth best team in the country. I have them rated above Kansas, actually. So, you know, I could be wrong, but I'm not that wrong. So if I'm not that wrong and Kansas is a one seed, West Virginia is essentially playing a one seed in the second round when they're one of the best teams in the country. I actually have them as a one seed. So, again, even if I had them overrated and they should be a two or three seed, I'm not going to be that far off. The NCAA would never, ever, ever dream of doing that. So they stuck him into some five seed with the most brutal draw imaginable. And, and it's all done on purpose. They go in and they create the rules after. You know, really, shouldn't it be just the best teams get in after, after the automatic visit put out? Shouldn't it just be the best teams are in that this quadrant one and road wins? It's all a bunch of bullshit. It's all just a way to fuck the mid-majors. So uh, 
that's my guess as to why they don't like West Virginia. He's he's uh, it's not a big money area. It's not a big money school. It's uh, he's not a poster boy for uh, you know, suit and tie guy uh, who's fit and uh, good looking or whatever you know parameters, whatever whatever dynamic you want for your poster boy. But he does not fit any of it. <laughs> so so West he's Virginia. Your, uh, so West Virginia and Wichita play. Who wins that game? That's a good question. I'd probably make it pick. So uh, I guess I have West Virginia a half. I think. All right. So West, let's just say West Virginia picks. I don't know. Wins that, that that's game. like that's like the all time. That's one of the greatest second round games I I can remember. Two two uh, two two teams that could win the whole thing are playing in the second round. Both extremely well coached. Both very talented. Uh, play uh you know wichita state is actually capable of full court pressing so it's but west virginia's presses are a lot different because they come from kevin Mackey, which is for another day that's uh he's a great basketball mind who was at a huggins practice one day and he says you know bob you don't have the best five you have the best 10 what about this and huggins who's smart and open-minded listened and that's how he came to some of these presses that are a little different than most people run they came from kevin Mackey, who is one of the great basketball minds of all time Unfortunately, he got caught in a crack house with a hooker when he was coaching Cleveland State. That's not the way to advance in this world. Uh, but he's still a great basketball mind. So, you know, uh, uh, Greg Marshall's brilliant too. So they should have a very easy time with Marshall. Uh, I would think he's already strategizing for West Virginia and, and, and thinking about, you know, how to combat these presses that he, he will not see at any point during the year. So I guess I'd give the edge to West Virginia because – what he does is so different than the rest of the the planet that people have a hard time dealing with. It. There's really no way to emulate what they do in practice. Uh, so I guess I'd lean to West Virginia against Wichita, but it, it's not a strong one because okay, uh, Bird Marshall was probably my favorite coach in the country. Can West Virginia beat Villanova then? Yeah, for sure. You Although I do think Villanova is the best team in the country. So that's how bad their draw is. They get like a, a two seed than the best team in the country. That's what they get for their uh, having a, a terrific year. Notice what Kansas gets. Notice what North Carolina gets. They get a, a basically a pass to the finals. That's what they get. So you're not you're not but big on this Michigan. You're not big on Michigan being uh, one of the one of the underrated teams after they're running the Big Ten uh, Big Ten tournament. No, I think they got overrated because they're running the Big Ten. If you want to ignore the other 25 games they played, then fine. But I'm not going to. Uh, I do think that it'll help them that they have a couple weeks off. Remember, I'm a big energy guy, so I think rest is good. People say you're rusty. I don't agree with that. They play basketball their whole lives. They're not. They're not going to be rusty. Uh, rest is good. So I, I think Michigan will be helped by the fact that they had a couple weeks off. Uh, but am I going to overreact to the fact that they ran rough shot in that Pac-10, uh, Big Ten tournament? No, I'm not. Is it possible? Yes, they're defending a lot better than they usually do. But Michigan is still Michigan. It's still uh, a notch below the better teams. The coach is excellent, but he's still a notch below those better teams. And and I I would I would say that he's still a notch below those better teams. So no, I don't think he's. Uh, can he beat North Carolina? Yeah, North Carolina is completely clueless. Anyone can beat them. But you know, with this thirty second clock and the way the game's called, the way the game's played, North Carolina's stupidity doesn't get in the way as much as it once did. What do you think if Gonzaga and Xavier play? Um, what do you think that line will be? Do you think Gonzaga will be favored? Oh, yeah, Gonzaga will be favored for sure. And yeah. they'll probably win too. Xavier's another one that, uh, you know, doesn't get the quality athlete. Their coach is terrific. They, they play to, they play, this is the highest level they play to. So that's another knock to them, right? I mean, if I go back to that golf handicap thing, then. You know, I would typically rate Xavier somewhere in the 90 and a half, 91 range, and this year they're in 93. So this is like their home run year. Do they have any higher to go to that? I don't think so. You know, they're 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 totally at their peak. Where Gonzaga is kind of, they were like a 98 and a half last year, and now they're 90. This is my power ratings, by the way, and I, I know this will make sense to you. So I'm not talking a foreign language. And I think I got them 95 and a half this year. So that that's about where they typically play to. Last year was their home run year. So Gonzaga is is in their range of of golf handicap where Xavier is at their higher end. So even with Gonzaga being neutral and Xavier at the higher end, I have Gonzaga a two and a half point favorite. Never mind that Gonzaga probably has another level to go to while Xavier does not. So yes, I would expect the Gonzaga to be favorite. I would also expect them to win. 
What do you think of, uh, is this the year finally that Virginia breaks through? Uh, it's hard not to root for them. I mean, they, they, they do things right, right? I mean, as a basketball purist, which I am, I, I went to the Plester rather than going to classes. And it's actually kind of interesting. I went to the Plester instead of classes, and I was well aware of what the point spreads were because the New York Daily News had this little article called The Latest Line by a guy named Jim McCarthy. And he had these, like, these uh, alliterative blurbs where he'd pick these games. But remember, this is uh, the dark ages. You couldn't get a score. And I always wondered, you know, I heard about these wise guys and, and these games moving, like, you know, how, how do they know? How do they know who's going to win the Creighton-Southwest uh, Missouri State game when you can't even get a fucking score on it? And it was intriguing to me. And, and so I always read the Jim McCarthy thing, and I always knew what the point spreads were when I went to all these doubleheaders at the Plestra. One ticket paid for both, by the way. Uh, and I think that allowed me to get some instinct, uh, develop instinct unknowingly for, for what I did later in life. So in 1981, I read this book called uh, The Handicapper by Robert Kalich, a really uh, great read. And page one of that book is this gentleman who's on the phone, and he actually gets this manic influx of phone calls. And he takes all the information he's getting from all these phone calls. And, you know, I'll get modern with this. He sticks, sticks this into his internal database and he kind of winged out the winner. And I said to myself, I want to be that guy one day. And in a very strange set of circumstances, I ended up in Vegas completely winging it, making my own power ratings, which I did absolutely totally wrong. By the way, <laughs> I started this all wrong, but it worked out all right. And, uh, uh, so that, that that was a little history of how I, how I arrived here. Uh, so I completely lost track of where I was at. I was talking about Virginia, and somehow I ended up on Jim McCarthy in the latest line. Wow, that's pretty cool. Uh, can Virginia break through? Yeah, sure. This is his best team by a mile. Uh, they, they have showed no signs of letting up. I thought they might have a kind of a, a – I didn't think they'd perform well in the ACC tournament, and that cost me a few bucks. But they had no problem – running everybody out. They, they give nothing away at any time. It's probably his most athletic team. Uh, they'll have some time now to heal a couple of the guys who are a little banged up. The draw is not so bad. And uh, they play a great tournament style. You have to play half-court basketball to win NCAA tournament games, and uh, they certainly do that. Now, here's the, the knock is, is uh, you know, they're so well coached and they play it's such, a, such a cerebral uh, game where they give nothing away that they typically have nowhere to go either but down. Uh, but this team seems to continue to get better. I can't catch up with their rating. I, I keep upgrading them, and I'm fighting against upgrading them because they're, they're already past, you know, their typical level. And uh, I hope this makes sense because, I, I, you know, I, I don't know how computer people do it, but I, I would hope that this makes a lot of sense. Uh, so I'm fighting, I'm fighting continuing to raise Virginia's rating because, you know, they played X number of games this year, and I ought to know how good they are, but they keep covering, and I keep losing money betting against them, so I probably am still wrong. And if that's the case, then they might actually be the best team in the country. And if that's the case, then obviously they, they can break through and win it, and they certainly play the right style for it. But typically their drawer isn't very good because the NCAA is not a Virginia fan because they like high-scoring games, and Virginia certainly is not in that league. Uh, they're trying to create a game that, that creates high scores, so they've completely fucked the game of basketball up and trying to make it what they think is fan-friendly, what they think will put people in the audience, what they think people will watch. And by doing so, they fucked the game up. And Virginia is not one of their, you know, run-and-gun, uh, show-the-dunk-on-ESPN-type teams. So you, like, they typically have not gotten any kind of break from the committee, but this year they had to. They were one seed. So, yeah, they definitely could win it. I, I, would, not, I would not be surprised. So if we go, if we look in their region and you talked about their draw, there's two very interesting teams that seem to be playing their best basketball right now that are going to have to probably play each other in the second round, and that's Kentucky and Arizona. Do you think either of those, you know, what do you make of both of those teams? I mean, obviously those teams both had up and down throughout the year, but really ran through their conference tournaments pretty well. Do you think, which which would scare you more, I guess, if you were Virginia? Uh, neither. <laughs> Probably Kentucky. I, I, Arizona actually didn't run rough shot through the tournament. They played Colorado in the first round, yeah. and the game was a war, and Colorado's point guard got hurt, and they have no backup, and now they full-court press Colorado, and the game got away from them. 
in the second round, they played an absolute war with UCLA, who was playing a little shorthanded and played the starters had played a, a enormous number of minutes, and they finally got worn out in the overtime. So that was tied going into the overtime, which typically it is for an overtime game, right? That was real brilliant what I just said there. Uh, and USC was minus their best player, minus one of their really good players for that game, some sort of uh, inf- uh, uh, lung infection. And that game was uh, – they were up at the half three, I think, and then with like 15 minutes to go, their starting center picked up his fourth foul, USC's. And the guy they brought in was not nearly as good. And, and Arizona's best player happens to be this center, who's like the best player in the country, who's the one they supposedly paid $100,000 for. But the price tag's a lot higher for him. So that's, that's, that's a crock of shit, too, for sure. For sure, he's like a $300,000 player in, 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 in the college market. So that, that was a bunch of bullshit. I assure you it was. Uh, so once the starting center for USC went to the bench, that guy took over. They, they were smartly went to him every time, and he scored virtually every time and got a lot of rebounds, and the game got away from him. So I would contend that Arizona was not any uh, great team during that tournament. In fact, I would great, contend that they weren't any great team the entire year. Uh, I think they're a tad overrated, actually. And uh, they who do they play in the first round? They got, they got Buffalo. They might not even get by the first round. So this Buffalo team took Cincinnati to the wire uh, in an early season tournament. I think it was in uh, – I want to say Jamaica. I don't know. One of those. Uh, <laughs> they were in some foreign tournament that uh, they play on, Columbia or Jamaica. I forget. I don't remember everything. I used to remember everything. It kind of sucks that I don't. But anyway, they took Cincinnati to the wire, and that was before uh, Wes Clark became eligible, who was a, a kid who played for uh, the Buffalo coach in high school, and he's a, a, a superstar for him. So they got one of their better players eligible after they took Cincinnati to the wire in a, in a uh, neutral court tournament setting. And Cincinnati is better than Arizona for sure. So if they can take Cincinnati to the wire, and again, we're kind of like using my how the game played out, and Cincinnati never did get away from them. Buffalo led, and Cincinnati caught them, got ahead, and Buffalo made got right back in the game. Very, very impressive, actually, because usually the underdog just cracks there, but they didn't. And now they've added a very good player since then. You would think that they have a good chance to beat Arizona, and I actually do think they have a good chance to beat Arizona, who I don't think is very good. So uh, now on to Kentucky who is loaded with talent but completely lost on the basketball court. And I think their good play was, yes, they played well, but I think it was more the other teams didn't. Did they have something to do with it? Yes. But they also hit like eight straight threes when they played Alabama that game. And Alabama was on their third game and had just locked up their tournament bid. They just beat Nam at the wire and came from behind and beat Auburn. And they had their starting uh, – one, the, one of their better players was yeah, out with a concussion. The scorer was out, so – yeah, and he's also one of the better defensive players, too. So th- there's that. You know, the scoring is not much to me, but, you know, how does he impact the team's chemistry? Uh, and he's a very good player for Alabama. He does a lot of little things that aren't that aren't seen. So, you know, Alabama had every right to be blown out, but Kentucky still had hit eight threes in a row to, to, to get some uh, wiggle room there. So the game against Tennessee was a little more impressive, but they had lost twice to Tennessee during the year, and, and – you know, subconsciously, that probably worked a little bit in their favor. But, you know, there was still life and death at the end. No doubt Kentucky is loaded with talent. And if you get that now into an up-and-down athletic-type game, Kentucky will revel on that. But that's not what Virginia is going to offer them. Virginia is going to offer this half-court slugfest where Kentucky is going to have to face a defense they've never seen before. They run crap half-court offense. Cal Perry is not the smartest of coaches. Uh, and Kentucky's going to have a whole lot of trouble scoring against Virginia. I mean, everyone does. That's like the stating the obvious, but Kentucky is really going to have a lot of trouble because I don't think they'll kill them on the boards. They have a lot of freshmen. They're playing uh, a lot of bigger, stronger guys. I actually think Virginia would run them out of the gym. So I don't think Virginia will have a problem with either one of those teams, to be honest with you. All right, last question about this tournament, and then I think Rufus wants to ask you some questions gen- about gambling gen- um, gener- generally. Uh, Kansas, Michigan State, or Duke, who do you take out of that region? Uh, Duke. Interesting. You like? Why do you like them? Just talent? Because I know better, you don't like yeah. K. They're, they're loaded talent-wise. I can't stand the team. I can't stand the coach. I can't stand anything about them. But they, they uh, I'm surprised Kansas and Duke are actually in the same bracket. That's that's unusual because they usually cheat for both of them. So now I don't know what they do when they play each other. But uh, Michigan State's the oddball there. They don't they don't catch too many breaks usually. 
I, I mean this from the bottom of my heart, by the way. I, I, I'm not trying to be Howard Stern here. I'm, uh, I'm not trying to be provocative. I'm saying what I believe. I'm, I, if people know me, I'm a total straight shooter. This is not, uh, and even though, you know, Penn might be some tech school, I'm not a, I'm not a fucking idiot either. And, and so I'm, I am speaking with some intelligence about something I know something about. And I'm not trying to create good radio for you or a great podcast or whatever you call these things nowadays. This is actually what I believe. And I would sit someone down and watch some replays of games over the years and, and probably be able to prove it. But that's for another day. So I just want to throw that out there that I'm not talking nonsense at all here. I'm talking what I believe, which, again, is in, in a different world than you're in, I believe. Uh, so, yes, I think Duke's the best team in that region. I also think they'll get the benefit of, of any uh, 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 tertiary uh, action there may be, i.e., a referee's call here and there. All right, actually, one more last question. Sorry, Purdue, how do you feel Ask about that? Ask you want. I'm not going anywhere. My dog's sleeping, and uh, I'm getting all worked up here, so it's perfect. Uh, <laughs> what do you think about Purdue and their chances? Because like, that region's interesting, because if you, you think Villanova's the top team, you think they're going to play West Virginia potentially. Uh, whoever wins that will survive maybe against Purdue, maybe against Texas Tech, maybe even against Florida. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, Florida, that's a brutal bracket. That really is. I mean, all those teams you just mentioned, plus Stephen Austin, they got fucked every single year. And once again, they did uh, playing probably. Yeah, I, I'm not going to go there. That, that It's just uh, that bracket is ridiculous compared to the other brackets. That racket's like 10 to 1 over them. Even just even even the lower seeds, the lower seed versus lower seed has stronger ones there. That bracket is, is entirely unfair. And believe me, they're, they're, the committee is well aware of what they did because Villanova is not one of their good old boys either which I may have mentioned earlier. So, uh, no, and Purdue's not one of the good old boys either. They don't, they're not Purdue fans. They, they never liked him when Keedy was there, and Matt Painter's a Keedy guy. And, and again, it's, you know, they're, they're great defensive teams and not what they're trying to give to the public. Uh, Purdue, every year in a tournament, disappoints. I have My theories on that are, are similar to the ones I mentioned before, is that they, they're, they're very, very well coached. They give away nothing the entire year, but they don't have any other level to go to except down. And typically when the tournament comes, they do level off a little bit. They kind of overachieve all year, and the clinker comes in the NCAA tournament. That maybe sounds a little far-fetched, but that's what I believe. Uh, this year, they started off like a house of fire again, and now as the season has gone on, they against, once again have leveled off. Also, you know, to start of the year, they play a lot of home games against overmatched opponents, and, you know, a game that would be a 15-point win early in the year is a 30-point win earlier in the year. And it, 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 so there's a little bit of uh, – they're deceptively not as good as, as, as people think because they have all these 40- and 50-point wins that really aren't. Uh, but – they're they're again a notch below the the elite teams, and they they have hit their peak, I believe, at some point this year. And their peak is not as good as Villanova's or Wichita's or West Virginia's. And so their best game, I don't think, wins. And I'm not so sure they're going to have their best game because they haven't played their best game in in a while now. So, no, I don't expect Purdue to get through. In fact, if they lost to Texas Tech, it wouldn't surprise me. In fact, if they lost to Florida, I think it's in their in their their grouping too. It wouldn't surprise me. So, yeah, I think uh, that's that's a, that's an incredibly tough bracket of teams. Like this, that that's that's a, that's a ruthless bracket. Rufus, you want to uh, change the conversation? Well, no, I, I wanted to ask. I wanted to actually ask a hoops question as well. It sounds like you think most um, big most of the big program schools with coaches that are great recruiters, the Bill Selfs of the world, the John Calipari's, the Mike Krzyzewski's, um, aren't really great X's and O's coaches. Um, who would you Correct. say, who would you say out of the big, the big name schools is the best X's and O's coach? All right. So I think there's a reason for that too. I think if you're going to recruit these, uh, these great players, these AAU uh, players who have a lot of freedom in AAU ball, who've been pampered from day one, you can't teach them, you know, 50 set plays to her. And they're going to say, fuck you, I ain't playing this. They want to play the more playground style, the more street ball, the more free-flowing game. So the coaches are hampered a little bit by the players they recruit. So, you know, I'm going to cut them a little slack there. Uh, but as far as the elite schools and 
now we'd have to have a definition of elite. Certainly, I, Jay Wright has gotten way better at Villanova. He he used to be kind of a clown when he was at Hofstra, and even his early days at Villanova. But his teams play uh, with more than a modicum of intelligence now, and they absolutely know what they're doing at, at every moment. So I, 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 Jay Wright, a guy who I couldn't stand for a long time, is certainly one of the better uh, of the elite programs. Obviously, I love Huggins, but I don't know if you consider West Virginia an elite program. It's hard not to, but – you know, but if you're talking like, you know, and, and even Sean Miller, Arizona, he's he's pretty good, too. He's probably better than, than the average uh, elite program coach. So that's just a few names off the top of my head. Well, you Mark think Izzo is a, I don't, think Izzo's I don't a know good if they're coach, an elite right? program, but I'm sorry? What about Izzo? Yeah, he's good. He's good. I, I don't I don't think he's great, but he's, he's good. I think he, he seems kinda, like a nice he guy. He lost his way a little bit, too. He tried, he tried to... He tried to get his team to play. He switched from more of a half-court coach to an up-tempo coach to try to, no doubt, recruit better players and, and, and maybe, uh, you know, go with the modern flow. But when he did that, I, I think his team lost uh, some of the uh, smarts that they once possessed. I, I have not been overly impressed by his teams the last few years. So I think he's dropped a notch, in my opinion. Okay, so um, moving on to some more general questions. How hard is it for you to trust your process in the face of bad outcomes when what you're doing is so heavily based on feel? And so for me, like I... So for me, I have a model which makes the decisions for me. I create the model, but it makes it easy because the, you know, the decisions are basically automated, right? But I know in other areas of my life, like, you know, investing in the stock market or real estate, I don't really trust myself because I don't have that framework. So, yeah, how do you uh, how you, do you, trust? you absolutely hit the uh, the uh, most relevant question you could have come up with. That's it in a nutshell. So back in the day when I first started, when I was much younger, when I created my whole five months of basketball around just basketball, when I started going to the gym, when I started eating better, when I went to sleep a little earlier, when I was a complete fucking health nut, I'd wake up knowing I was going to win. There was, my instinct was etched in stone. I would not care how many days I lost. I knew I was going to win that next day. However, life catches up with you. You get older, your $3 million home becomes worthless and you hold on to it too long and you go broke. And now you're sitting here and every dollar matters. And now you have a couple of years that aren't as good as they once were. And now, yes, my instinct that's been the biggest battle I faced this entire season is trusting my gut. And since your gut is often something you can't verbalize, right? Cause it's just some hidden memory, something you've seen before that your gut is telling me this is right, do it. But now you can't come up with a reason why. And, and you're talking to your partner, like, well, I can't give you a reason why we're going to bet this, but here, let's go bet this. It's extremely difficult for me to trust my instinct now. And, that has been the biggest dilemma I've faced this entire year. I've had a, actually a very good year handicapping wise. Uh, I'm actually very proud of myself because uh, my life's kind of gone to shit yet. Here I am at 59, still able to keep up with, you know, the more modern approach that, that you guys have, which is, you know, hard for me to, to deal with. I'm just me using logic. And uh, so it's been a very rewarding year in that regard that I've probably had maybe my best year ever handicapping. However, the one place I have struggled is trusting my instinct. And it's been kind of an ebb and flow, which never works, right? I mean, yes, you trust it one day, no, you don't next, you're just fucking yourself. And so that's an excellent question. The answer is extremely difficult. And I wish I, I wish I could go back 30 years and just say, all right, you're this kid again, and you know you're going to win. Just trust your whole process that it's going to be right, because it's been right for 30 years. I mean, really, in a nutshell, I, I, I've won almost every year for 30 years, so like 29 years I've won. Like, so I must be doing something right. It, but, it sounds like, it sounds like a, you know, a 23 year old uh, golfer, you know, standing over a five foot putt to win a tournament has, you know, he doesn't have any fear, but you know, the 50 year old golfer or Jim Furyk, you know, the older you get, I guess, the more experience you have, the more, uh, the more, you know, which, which makes it in a way harder, right? Exactly. It, that's it in a nutshell. So you, you had, you had the home run question. So <laughs> and and you you actually hit it something that I, I I have no idea how to even work on it. Like you know I can go over and and understand that I've won all these years and but you know when I just keep instinct completely out of the package, I get mad at myself when something that's instinctive wins. 
So now I trust it the next day and it loses like, you know, and now I motherfuck myself. It, it, it's got to be one or the other. I guess that's what uh, I'll have to arrive at one of these days is either I'm going to trust it completely or I'm not. But, you know, good luck with that. <laughs> so uh, I know so, you have a yeah, reputation. great question. Well, that was an excellent answer. I know you have a reputation for being very honest and analytical about yourself. Um, has that been an outgrowth of your experience as a gambler or phrased phrase another way? You've said, or I read, uh, I read in, that you said in the past that you were miserable for a large part of your adult life. Do you think gambling was a cause of that or was gambling what enabled you to get the perspective to get to a good place? No, I think, uh, I think gambling was the, uh, smoke screen. I think gambling was so, all right, uh, let's give this a shot. So I was as normal outgoing athletic kid who actually had a high IQ too. And we moved from Boston to the suburbs and I remembered someone called me a kike. So I broke his nose, which seemed like a, a fitting thing to do, but I didn't understand someone hating me because I was Jewish. Uh, it didn't make any sense to me. And now the start of the, that I think, I'm just guessing, of course, I think that triggered the, a little bit of not wanting to be a part of society. Uh, move fast forward further. I, I kind of get back in the swing of things. You're in sixth grade, you're at a new school. And now again, I'm kind of in the, in the loop, not that I ever wanted to be uh, in any kind of clique. I've always been that kind of iconoclast. You know, I, I wasn't the jock and I wasn't the nerd, but I was just me. And, and I've kind of been like that my whole life. But so fast forward to that, and I'm back in, back in being uh, uh, a guy who wants to be a part of things and, you know, wouldn't mind participating in, in, a, in playing baseball, et cetera, which I was really good at. And now I'm 13 and my parents split. And now you go to high school and your parents have just split and you see all the bullshit that permeates high school. Cause it really is just a crock of shit. The rah, rah, you know, school spirit, all the rest of that stuff the, to me was just a total crock of shit. Like what the fuck are these people nuts? And, but it was more in, in retrospect, my parents splitting that, uh, did not sit well with me. And I became this bitter, inward, cynical prick. However, when my dad took me to the racetrack, I found some peace of mind. I found some solace at the racetrack. Like, how cool is this? I can use my mind to try to make money on picking a horse winner, harness racing specifically. And I spent a lot of days there rather than going out to parties, which I didn't want to be a part of. I'd go to the racetrack. And so gambling became my way of dealing with my misery, I think. I think it was my uh, way of masking it. It was my, ironically, the, ironically, gambling is my comfort zone. So risking every dollar I had became my comfort zone because that's where I could find peace of mind away from the bullshit that exists in daily society or in high school on up. And I, I think that almost uh, ranked long time until recently when I, I kind of had an epiphany and then I'm, I'm pretty cool with everything now, but you know, I'm 59. I better learn something eventually. So yeah, I think I was just being honest when I was saying I was unhappy and I think gambling was my way of dealing with it, not anything more. And, and if I didn't find gambling, I might've, who knows? I might've cracked. I might've been uh, institutionalized. I'm, I'm not kidding either. Nope. All right. That's well, my uh, best answer. <laughs> no, I mean, it's a great answer. I mean, I think Rufus and I um, both have spent a lot of time in the gambling world and certainly we know the ups and downs and whether it, it you know, it, it's, it's actually like in some respects refreshing to hear when, when Rufus asked me that question, I was like kind of scared to hear the answer. And it's nice to know that the story, you know, really about the, the racetracks and whatnot. And, um, it's fascinating though, Alan, because I think that, you know, one of the things that Rufus and I talk a lot about is, is the process and so many things that you highlighted in your, you know, assessment of teams. I think that he and I would break down as being part of a, a solid analytical framework or a solid process, even down to like, one of the things I found interesting was you were talking about the schools themselves and almost like the schools themselves, they have ratings 
um, that you believe like your like, prior, right? Only, yeah, exactly. That's what I wrote down to talk to yep. you about. It's like the priors. It's like what the ceiling is. Um, so I, I really do think that you're, you're way more analytical and mathematical than you give yourself um, credit for, but it all just is fixated in your mind, um, which, which is fascinating. And I think maybe one day we should all just sit down and, uh, you know, somewhere and, and pick your brain and we'll build a mathematical framework for you that will, uh, that will last and endure over time that you won't have to always, uh, always question, I guess. <laughs> I have I think always wanted to... to talk to a computer programmer and someone, a computer programmer who understood sports betting, I always wanted to do that because I know a lot of that is the questions you ask, right? That yes, that drives your program. I'm not familiar at all with it, so I might be talking a little out of my asshole here because I am no, not I mean, familiar at all. I can barely turn a computer on. Uh, and and, I mean, and again, I'm from a different world. There were no computers. I didn't even use a calculator because I could multiply and add faster than a calculator, so I didn't even use those stupid things. Uh, but the so I've always wanted to talk to a guy who can create a model or a program, whatever the right word is, because I think I have some really cool questions to ask and, 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 and something would even fine tune what, what I, I believe to be a, a good approach, which probably is a good approach given that I've had some success at it. Then I had $80 in my pocket when I got to Vegas and eventually lived in a home worth $3 million and drove a Ferrari on the side. So I did something right. I certainly didn't model for a living. Uh, like model clothing. Uh, but <laughs> that's all I did for five months was basketball, and then I spent summers in Maine. I mean, so I did something right, and that was it. It was college basketball. I never put myself out there. I would never be a fucking tout to the lowest form of life on the planet. Uh, I've been asked a million times to do it, and I, I tell them all, leave me the fuck alone. You know, I'd rather be homeless, and I would rather be homeless. In fact, I was almost there. I was almost homeless and still turned down a guaranteed $100,000 a year to be a tout this year. I said, no, I will never, ever, ever lower myself to that. And it can't work anyway, because even if I tweet a game sometimes, it just gets you know slammed right on the screen. So even that becomes tricky. So you're, you become a, 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 you can become your own worst enemy. If you give a game out and your customers can't bet it, then what fucking good is it? Right. So you can't if you're even any good, you probably can't win as a tout anyway, even if you yeah, can win, been, you can't win. Been, right. I mean, that makes sense. Right. We've yeah, been notorious I'm, I'm, on this podcast for making fun of touts. We actually used to have a segment where we would put a guy on and we would say tout or sharp. And almost all of them were obviously always touts. And we would go through exactly the logic you said, which is like, hey, if you're if you're good, then you can't make money for people because, you know, they're you're going to move the line. If you're not good, then why are you doing it? And if if you're not betting them, I mean, if you bet them first, you're going to move the line. Like there's all these moral hazards to being a tout. And I think Rufus and I are the exact same way. We we would you know sooner die than than sell our picks or be touts. Right, and I give away right. the, the Massey Peabody picks for the NFL picks. I've been doing that for seven years now for free, kind of just to show that you don't. I don't know to kind of say that. Um, show how much of a, a crock of shit the industry is, you know? Well, it's just the same. It's the same reason, Alan, that you, you tweet your picks out. You're just giving some information to people because you want to give it to people. Rufus does right. the same I was thing. Hoping, I was hoping I could picks. replace touts. That's what I was hoping to do. But, but unfortunately, as you know, you know, the market is so fragile that, you know, I'm sitting there and I can't, you know, my top seven picks have already been slammed. And basically I'm just giving a pick against the money, you know, so I'm probably fighting an injury or I'm fighting someone else who knows what they're doing. And, you know, it's not a good dynamic to be giving picks out. Yet I still have had a good year even on Twitter this year. Like even that debacle last Saturday or two Saturdays ago, it's it's still been a winning year. My friend says a big winning year, as a matter of fact. So, unfortunately, when I was uh, giving picks out early on Saturday morning, it was one day where, where someone slammed opposite every single one of them on the screen. And then, of course, it came back the other way. So I knew that someone who was very, very organized and probably bet quite a bit of money went out and phony, you know, dummied all the games and then came back and, you know, went off screen and, and got down big on the, on the sides that I liked. It's good for me because we got to press every game at a better number, but it's bad that someone's using my work to make, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I couldn't let that happen. Uh, then we had to deal with people stealing uh, one of our outs, you know, stealing our, it's just unbelievable. What goes on nowadays. It's a fucking clusterfuck. It really is. Uh, so it's been really, uh, it, it's been enlightening in that way. I never dealt with any of this shit before. But, you know, I, I will get a handle on it and figure it out. But as far as it's very, very difficult to, to tweet winners, even. 
Giving him early, people had free reign to bet him, and, and I'm not letting someone bet $100,000 on my pick. I, you know, the guy's about $1,500. I'd love it if I could just tell him, here, you know, here's what you should bet. You're probably going to win, and, and over the course of the year, you will win. You'll have some fun, and you'll win. But, How about the little guys? The little guy, right. That's what I want. I want to help the little guy. But that's not what happened is there's too much greed in the world, and, and you know, people want something for nothing, and... These people are so stupid. I mean, they could comp- message me on Twitter, right, and say, by the way, you know, we're betting uh, $150,000 a game on your stuff, and, you know, we'd like to uh, do something with you. And I could say yes or no, but they didn't even do that. And it happened every time I said big, big next to a bet. So, you know, I, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, coincidence. So All right, it, Alan. It's, well, a, thank- it's a very difficult spot to be in. Anyway. Yeah, thanks but a lot, yeah, man, I was, for the time. I wanted to tweet winners to try to put touts out of business. That's what I was hoping to do. I think we both kind of we, – we, we're, we're all on the same side on this. We're all on the same page Good. on that one. Excellent. But, hey, man, thanks a lot for the time. This was awesome. It was super fun to talk and, and finally get a chance to, to really talk to you in, at this level. And I really appreciate it. This is uh, it. an old-school guy. This is a throwback. But I'm probably one of the better throwbacks. So I don't think there's many that uh, have, have not used computers that have succeeded. I think you know, it requires a lot more intelligence 15 to do points that. off. I'm sorry? I think you have to be a lot, a lot smarter to do it without computers. I think the, the real intelligence is asking the right questions and being able to come up with this sort of process without actually having you know, a computer to use as a crutch. You know, I didn't growing up, so it's just all logic to me, you know, which you, and logic, can, logic can win out everywhere, right? So, and sometimes I pick up on things that maybe a computer couldn't pick up on just by, from reading. So anyway, yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm, I hope I didn't bore anybody, and uh, it's definitely going to be a, a different take on, on what you're typically looking at, but maybe it's a different take in, a, in an old-fashioned way that actually uh, was the groundwork for what you do. I don't know. I think uh, it was a fabulous Thanks for having fabulous, me anytime, and uh, you got my number. All right, thanks. Go Quakers. <laughs> red and blue, actually, I think it's a real nickname, but okay, they call them Quakers, so go Quakers. Yeah, cheers. Go Quakers. All right. Well, that was Alan Boston and super interesting uh, interview. I think what always impresses me about people like that, especially like I I remember the first time that I met Bill Walsh, name dropper, uh, I was talking to him about sort of like his, you know, ideas and things like that. And and he said, well, you know, I don't don't use the spreadsheets or anything like that. And then, you know, I asked him simple questions like on first and 10, you know, how many yards do you think you need to get for it to be a success? And he's like, Oh, I think about like four, four and a half yards and like everything that, you know, he, and I was like, Oh, okay. On, on second and second and 10, how about, and like everything he said matched every like model that we had built. And I realized that like these incredibly smart people that don't consider themselves to be analytical have analytical frameworks in their minds. They're just so smart that they don't need a computer to do it. And, and that was kind of like a very interesting take. Uh, I thought with talking to Alan. I couldn't agree more. And I was jotting down notes, um, you know, during his answers where it's like process, regression to the mean, noise, randomness. Like it, 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 it's amazing the framework he has in the process. Yeah. I thought it was an amazing interview. It was, uh, I'm, yeah, it was great. Well, hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Um, I think what we've decided to do since that ran so long, we don't really want to edit is we're going to break this into two podcasts. Um, this one hopefully will be up on Tuesday. And then uh, tomorrow we'll be interviewing Ken Pomeroy and hopefully that will be a separate podcast that will be up on Wednesday. So as always, thanks for listening. Uh, We're brought to you by the Sports Action app and everyone, good luck in your brackets. See you later, Rufus. Bye.